take your Bibles, please, and turn to John chapter 14 and put your finger also in 2 Kings chapter 6. We're speaking today on don't let peace go. Don't let go of peace. If you believe that Jesus tells the truth, if you honestly believe that he's not a man, that he should lie or change his mind, then I want to remind you that you have been given a gift. It's yours as a believer. It's yours as a follower of Jesus. You don't have to wait for it to be delivered. You don't have to save up so that you can afford it. Jesus calls you by name. Jesus calls me by name and says, Bill, I'm giving you a gift. John chapter 14, verse 27. I'm giving you a gift. It's peace of mind and of heart. And the peace I give you is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. We have a very 21st century North American understanding of what it means when we hear those words. Peace. To us, it might mean a lack of conflict, an absence of war. We, we know that right now there is no peace in Ukraine or in Syria or in Colombia or in Myanmar or in South Sudan. There are wars there. There, there are conflicts, uprisings, strife in those places right now. There's no peace. There are people there that have peace, but there's no peace. That's a partial understanding of this word peace, but it's not in fact a full nor a biblical sense of what peace means. In the book of Exodus, chapters 21 and 22, Mo Moses attempts to explain how personal loss, how, how tragedy should be handled. When, when somebody comes and destroys your property, Moses says. When a thief comes and, and steals the things that are yours, you've been made less complete. What you had and who you are has been depleted. Something or a long list of some things have been subtracted from what you have, from who you are. And so Moses says that the responsibility, the, the responsible party has to make it right with you. That, that one who has destroyed your property, the thief who has stolen what you have, has, has to make good on your loss, has to repay, has to make full restitution. And, and the word that is used for those, those words some 14 times in those chapters, those two chapters, is the word shalom, peace. That which is broken, that which was stolen, has to be rebuilt, has to be replaced, so that there is a sense of fullness, there is a sense of reestablishing the completeness, that there is shalom, peace, nothing missing, nothing broken. Wholeness, completeness, restored. That's what peace looks like in the scriptures. Shalom, the peace of God restoring all so that nothing is missing, 
Nothing is broken. So, so Jesus in chapter 14 is, is preparing his disciples for the very difficult days that are just in front of him. He, he, he's preparing them for the crucifixion. And, and he says, I want you to understand three very important things about the days that are in front of us. The first is that things are going to change dramatically. I'm going to die. And I want you to understand this. I must die. I must die to fulfill the purpose of the Father for my life. The payment of, for sin is on my life and it must be made. The, the, the second thing that I want you to understand is that I must rise again. To win the battle over the devil, over death, over sickness, it will validate that, I, that what I've said is true and it will prove most definitively who I am. And, and the third thing that I want you to understand is that after all of that is, is finished, I'm going to go and stand at the right hand of the Father and the Holy Spirit will come and, and he, after all that has been accomplished, and he will be sent by the Father and he will be with you in my place and he will help you remember and understand my words and my deeds. So that's a lot of change that's going on. And the hearts and the heads that are hearing this, this, this information, they're, they're not ready. They're not willing to go there. And so they didn't hear the words of instruction and insight that Jesus was speaking. And, and Jesus understood that. And so his next words are the words that we've read just a moment ago. I'm giving you a gift. This is a legacy. This is a permanent gift from me to you. My peace, my shalom, my completeness, the fullness of who I am. All that I have is made available to you so that you know no shortage, you know no lack. This, this completeness, this, this peace will restore all that's been stolen, all that's been broken. It will bring you back to a place of wholeness in both your mind and in your heart where the fear of death would come and, and attempt to break, break you down and make you worry and, and, and unbalance you about what you believe, what you count on, then the peace that I give you will, will come and make you whole, will keep you complete in all of the turmoil that's ahead. My peace I give to you. In spite of what's going on, you'll be at peace. This peace I give is unlike anything the world has to offer, Jesus says. They may be able to find a room, a, a, a spot where there's no wars, no noise, no conflict. But, but they can't guarantee that trouble won't reach you. They can't quiet the brokenness. They, they can't stop the worry, the anxiety, the nattering voices that disrupt the quiet of your isolated room. The world has no shalom to give, no peace. I do. Only I can give you this, this gift of peace, this completeness of mind, body, spirit, and it's what I give to you now. So, and this is a very important part of the text where Jesus says, I give you peace, so don't let go of the peace. 
Don't let it slip out of your hands. Don't let trouble upset you to the place where you're missing the peace. Don't let fear drive you to a tormenting destination to to live out all the days of your life. Don't let go of the peace. Remember my peace is a restoration of wholeness. Nothing broken, nothing missing. It's my gift to you. For that peace to take root in our life, in our experience, we, we have to be willing and ready to wrestle through to discover the answer to two very important questions. The the, the first question is, who is God? Does he have the ability to make good on his promise of peace? And secondly, if, if God does have that kind of ability to enforce, to deliver, to establish peace in the most terrifying, troubling of times, will he do it for me? The scripture constantly reveals information to us about the greatness of God. The the text announces the, the titles of God as a way of helping us to discover something about who he really is. He is the truth. He doesn't just tell the truth. He is the essence of truth. He's the one who has always existed. In an undefeated state, he he has never been defeated. He is currently undefeated and will always be alive and always be undefeated. He's all-knowing. There's not a secret, a plot, a scheme that he doesn't know about. There's not a weapon that's been developed that, that he's unaware of, knows how it works, knows how it can be neutralized and destroyed. He, he, he knows the plots and the plans of evil dictators and, and mad scientists who dream about taking over the world. And he promises that they, they, may, they can make all the plans they want, but my purposes, he says, will always prevail. He's everywhere present. So while God is dealing with the drug lords in Colombia, he's fully aware and involved in what's happening in the Ukraine and in in Syria. He's fully engaged with who's here today in this room right now, not limited by time, not limited by space, not consumed or distracted by busyness. He's called the victorious king. And he stands above every other king that ever has been, ever will be. He has no limit in power. Nothing is too difficult for him. Those pictures, those those descriptions are given so that we can, to the best of our ability, know something of who he is and what he can do. Our responsibility is to discover by being so close to him, by being so connected, that they're not just titles, but they're realities that affect you and me every moment of every day in our life. Peace is primarily anchored in the greatness of our God. He's the one who is able to give, enact, preserve, enforce, keep peace. 
And the second, second part of this understanding is to know beyond any shadow of doubt that all that God is and all that God has belongs to you, belongs to me, because he loves us. He, he just plain loves us, loves us so much that he's created us with a purpose. He's covered us in his divine plan. It's one thing to say the words of Jeremiah 29:11 out loud, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a, a future and a hope. And that's a beautiful poetic sentiment, and, and you can cross-stitch that verse and hang it on your wall, and it will add value to that space. However, when you're not only able to confess it with your mouth, but to believe it in your heart, it will change your life forever. You, you can rest. You can, when, when things come up, you don't have to worry because you know that he has a future. He has a hope for you. Here's the truth. No matter what you've done, where you've been, what has occurred to you, no matter what your rap sheet says, or the prosecuting attorney tells the court about you, this is true. God always has. God always will. God does right this moment love you more. And he could never love you any more than he does right now. And he will not love you any less. When a person is fully convinced of those two facts, that God is great and that he is everything he said he is, and that God loves you, loves me, won't allow us to be destroyed, but, but will reveal his perfect plan, his purpose through our submitted lives. Once that's understood, you become unstoppable. You become unstoppable. You become a living de demonstration of the verse that says, I can do all things through Christ who is my strength. There, there's a wholeness, there's a, there's a fullness that makes you an intimidating power, a, a, a danger to all that stand against God and God, his purposes. I have in my Bible underlined the, the verse in Jeremiah 51.20, and I quite often go there and I remind myself that I am a battle axe. In God's hands. I was very glad when I stopped there that Debbie didn't say amen, amen. You know, I was very glad for that. But, but, but Jeremiah says this, uh, God says to Jeremiah this, with you I will shatter, you are my battle axe and sword, says the Lord. With you I will shatter nations, I will destroy many evil kingdoms. In his hands you are, I am dangerous. So, so if my strength, if my purpose, if my ability comes out of the shalom, out of the peace of God, which has been given to me as a gift by Jesus, a gift that protects both my heart and my mind, both my thoughts and my emotions, then I'd better not let go of that peace. I have a favorite story that's recorded in 2 Kings chapter 6. 
I, I want you to go back there later today and I want you to read the whole story because I don't have time to give you every detail of all the background and you know that that's like what I like to do. And, and I, I just can't do that. But let me give you a brief synopsis. The Arameans are at war with Israel. And it should take maybe two, three, maybe four days to, to overcome the Israelis. Their, their forces were big, they were strong, they were mighty. However, something is happening. The, when, when the king of Aram calls generals into the war room, and, and he spells out the strategy and he gives the timetable of all that's going to happen and when it will happen and, and tells how they're going to, they have intelligence that Israel is here right now and we're going to sneak up on them, we're going to ambush them, we're going to destroy them. When they arrive there, the Israelis are gone. And, and this happened so many times that the, the king of Aram was convinced that there's a traitor in the midst. That at the highest level of the military, this traitor has somehow, some way given the information to Israel. And the king calls the military together and demands that the traitor confess so that he can be punished. And one of the officers replies, listen, your majesty, it's, it's not us. It's, it's not us. They have an unfair advantage. They have in their, in their ranks, there's a, there's a prophet in Israel and his name is Elisha. And he tells the king of Israel the words that you speak, the thoughts that you think, even in private. He knows what you're thinking, what you're saying all the time. This is before electronic bugging was part of it. He knows what's going on. When we walk with the Lord, when we experience firsthand his ability to let us know the, the danger that is ahead, when he looks after every detail of battle so that a David-sized army has a Goliath-sized military frustrated, has them upset that they're, they haven't conquered the territory, that tends to give you a lot of peace when you're the David-sized army. Whatever you're missing, he more than compensates. He more than makes full and complete gift to you of all that you need. I, I love it that when even your enemy knows that you have an unfair advantage and is talking about it, it's not right, it's not fair, that they, they know more than we do. They have more than we have. And so the king of Aram decides that the only way to gain victory is to seize the prophet that's name is Elisha. And so there's intelligence that goes out and, and it comes back and they say, listen, the prophet is in the, the, the fortified city of Dothan. And the order is given, take a great army, surround the city and get Elisha and bring him back. The numbers aren't given, but it says that there are many troops, many horses, and chariots everywhere. He's not going to escape. And the enemy king sent all that he had for this one lone prophet in Israel. Talking about overkill. I, I love that when the enemies of God are frustrated and use their resources foolishly because they just don't know what else to do. And so... 
this is where the story gets interesting. Elijah, Elisha has a young man, a, an assistant. He, he's staying in a cabin, a small dwelling, and, and, and he's accompanied by an aide, someone who serves him so that he can stay focused on the task that is at hand. The servant prepares his meals, perhaps does his laundry, looks after Elisha so that Elisha can do everything that a prophet is supposed to do. So morning came and the servant goes out to get some water for the duties of the day. And he walks out of the cabin and he is jolted awake by the sight of a vast army that surrounds not only the cabin but surrounds the town of Dothan. There are troops, there are chariots, there are horsemen everywhere. And the servant lets go of his peace. Fear comes. I, I, I want you to know this, that the assault on your peace will usually come through your senses. You are tied strongly to what you see, what you hear, what you, you smell, what you taste to your feelings. Fear comes to the servant because of what he sees. There are more of them than there are of us. Fear is irrational. It grows quickly. And if allowed to do so, it takes over our lives quickly. When, when we have new pain in our body, it, it's not just that we've pulled something. It has to be a debilitating disease that's going to end up in, in, in death. We, we like gathering here together in this building. It's light, it's full of music and, and life and love and, and, and the presence of God. But if you've ever been in this building alone at night when the wind is blowing and the roof is creaking and shadows move past the, the windows, this is a scary place. It's not, it's not hard to let go of your peace. But we're called to be a people that don't go by what we see. We're, we're called a people of faith. We're called to push our thoughts, our fears, that the fears that come through a scriptural filter. Fix your thoughts. Fix your thoughts on, on what is true, what is honorable, what is right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Don't surrender your, your peace to the enemies you see, the fears that you feel, the anxiety that tells you lies, to the smell of defeat, the taste of betrayal. They're all working together in concert to get you to let go of the gift that God has given you. Let go of your peace. If you release the gift that God has given you, you lose the connection. You, you, you get lost in the problem rather than staying connected, staying strong to the solution. The, the servant returns to the prophet inside with this fear-filled question. Sir... In view of the overwhelming army that's poised to arrest you and by association arrest me, what are we going to do? How do we escape this certain disaster? Where do we run? Do you have a, a tunnel somewhere that we can get out of this? 
The young man, it says, cried to Elisha. The voice of the young, the, the inexperienced, those who are new to faith, new to trusting God. It, it tends to have a, a panic sound attached to it. And, and that's fine. That, that, that's a good place to start. It's the beginning of our walk with God, a, a progressive revelation, a, a growing relationship, a long log of experience will take the quiver, the fear out of our voice if we learn not to let go of our peace. He goes on, Elisha does. He's a man of experience. He, he's a man that's logged some incredible history together with God through some very hair-raising experiences. He, he's a veteran of peace. He, he knows that peace isn't the lack of conflict or war, but that peace is the fullness, the completeness of all that God is and all that God has when you need him the most. And so Elisha gets very practical he has learned that an as an individual, we have the authority to speak to our emotions. We have an ability to command our appetites, our cravings. He knows that we can speak to the fear and declare, you're not in charge here. You're not in charge. And Elijah sa Elisha says to his servant, don't be afraid. The way that we're built, we react to pressurized situations. When, when stress comes, our, our heart beats faster, our eyes start darting around, our hormonal fight or flight response kicks in. We all have experienced fear. And Elijah, Elisha is not saying eliminate the fear completely. He's saying don't let the fear take over and govern what you see, what you know, how you respond. Get control over your emotion, over your desire, and declare you will not let go of peace in this moment. God has not given us the spirit of fear. He's given us love. He's given us power. He's given us a sound mind. He's equipped you to keep focused on the mission and on the call that's on your life, on the purpose that God has in you being here. So first thing, don't surrender. Don't let go of your peace because of fear. The second thing is to verbally, mentally, start to rehearse what you know about God to be true. Recall how, how God has saved you before. Announce and own promises that God has given to you in his word. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. God has promised me that he will not leave me. He will not forsaken or abandon me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. The enemy will come at me one way, but God will cause him to be scattered seven ways. Rehearse what God has said to you about your assignment. In my almost 37 years here, I have had a few hundred times when I've been tempted to quit. 
tempted to walk away, go to another assignment. But, but I go back to the promise that was made to me right here at the front of this church on, a, on an early Tuesday morning in the September of 1986. He just whispered this. It's bigger than what you think. And I'm just curious enough. I'm just, I'm just hungry enough not to quit before I see what that means. I rehearse the promise. The promises of God have a resounding, have a loud, definitive yes from heaven to our needs. And the voice of God says, amen, so let it be. Let it come forth now. Elisha says, quit looking at what you see, son. Hold on to the peace that comes with truth. Despite what your eyes see, here's the truth, young man. There are more of us than there are of them. And, and the young man looks at Elisha and says, you haven't been outside this morning. You don't know what's going on. There are troops. There are horses. There are chariots everywhere. There's you and me. There's more on our side than there is on theirs. That's the truth. And, and the victory has been awarded. And, and you need to know that we have more on our side than they have on ours. And, and, and the servant doesn't see it that way. He's, he's stuck at the, at the report that his senses are giving to him. The, the servant is stuck on all the troops. And he can see they're surrounding the cabin and making escape, escape impossible. There's no way we're going to get out of this alive. This is not going to end well. Fear is dictating his response. Fear is, has diminished, broken, stolen his faith and his trust in God. The prophet, however, he sees more than troops on the ground. Elisha is savvy to the ways of God. He, he knows that God's ways are, are higher, are more creative, more innovative than our ways. Last week, God would tell me that they were coming and we'd get out of here. Today, he's doing something new. Today, he's, he, he's doing something different. Young man, can you see what God is doing right now? No, I can't, sir. I'm very afraid. I just see enemy battalions everywhere. Elisha takes and he places his hand on the head of the young man and he prays, Oh Lord, open his eyes so that he can see. See, let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes. Open his eyes and let him see the reality of what's in front of him. Don't, don't allow him to focus on, on what the enemy is doing and where the enemy is stationed. He's addicted to the view, to the problem and not looking to see the one who is the solution. Cause him to see more than what he's seeing right now. Open his eyes. It says that the Lord did open his eyes. The eyes of the young man and the, what he saw there was incredible. He, he didn't see enemy troops. He, he saw the hillside was filled with horses and chariots of fire standing between them and the enemy. The reason to fear was removed when the young man discovered that Elisha was not losing his reasoning ability, but was in fact holding on to the peace of God that rules and reigns over fear that comes to trouble our, our hearts and our minds. Nothing broken. 
nothing missing. When I, what I need right now is here. I have not been destroyed, but the power, the might of heaven is present right here, right now. Stories are starting to leak out of Ukraine about God being at work. It's a nation that has a large believing Christian community. There are cities that have massive youth revivals that are going on. And now there's stories of troops meeting for prayer, Ukrainian troops meeting for prayer before they go out to battle. Stories of, of officers giving instruction and then just before they release the troops, calling out, all glory to Jesus Christ. And the troops responding, glory forevermore. Now you have to know, that when that happens, God's going to honor it. You have to know that. And, and, and stories of strong winds that come blowing across the Black Sea and are not allowing for days at a time Russian Navy troops to unload onto the beach. Troops being sent, Russian troops being sent into confusion and aiming for a city and somehow ending up lost in a forest. Ukrainian soldiers feeling that they should move from this base to a base 30 miles away and discovering that once they got there, that just after they left, that first base was destroyed by rocket fire. What was to have taken a few days, just two, three, four days, the Russians thought they could crush Ukraine, were now into the third week. And no one can explain why this Goliath-sized army has not been able to subdue this David-sized nation. But it seems that God's up to something. And we're going to continue to pray. We're going to continue to believe. Elisha prays that the young assistant's eyes will be open, And he prays that the eyes of the enemy will be shut so that they do not recognize Elisha and who he is. And he goes up to the enemy troops and he tells them, you must be lost. You're, you're in the wrong place. Let me show you where you go. They're there to arrest and to destroy him. And he leads them to another place and they are arrested and made prisoners of war. Not one shot being fired, not one life having been lost. But he doesn't let go of the peace. As a friend of mine often says, the Lord, he moves in mischievous ways, his wonders to perform. Don't let go of peace. Can I have uh, some music behind us here? Don't let go of peace. Pastor Bill, you don't know what I'm up against these days. You, you don't know what's going on in our lives. I don't know all the details, but I do pray over you. I pray over you individually. I pray over you as, as families, as households. And I might not know all the details, but as I pray, I start to pray the scriptures over you as a family over you as individuals. 
And over the last two years, there's probably not a scripture that I've prayed more often than Psalm 91. Those who live under the shadow of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I will declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap. He will protect you from every deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and your protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors that come at night, nor the arrow that flies in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in the darkness, nor the disaster that strikes strikes at midday. Though a thousand shall fall at your side and ten thousand are dying all around you, these evils will not touch you. Just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. Don't let go of your peace. Don't let go of your peace. Will you stand with me? These are the words of Jesus to you today. I am giving you a gift. I'm giving you peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift that the world cannot give. So don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. I am praying this morning over a people that have felt they've been robbed, that they've been looted by all that's gone over. And today I just feel really impressed to pray over families. Every family is dysfunctional. You just need to know that. Just accept that. You just, just look at someone and say, your family's dysfunctional, my family's dysfunctional. We're all on the same level, okay? We're, we're all there, okay? Your family's no better than mine. Mine might have a bit of edge on crazy over yours, but that's okay, okay? These last two years have been difficult on families. There is disagreement that's come over everything. I know families who can't get together for supper anymore because we believe this way, they believe that way, and they're not really ready to come. In these two years, there's been disease, there's been illness, there's been loss, there's been frustration, there's prodigals, there, there, there's heartbreak, there's misunderstanding. There's, there's members of our family that have done wrong to either us or other members of our family and we feel like we're trying just to keep the thing together with binder twine and, and tape. I know this, we're not going to let go of peace. And so if you have a family that's in need, you may, may have one member who's struggling. You may have a prodigal. You may have division in your family. You may have sickness in your family. You might be short of, of cash or have someone who's short of, of funds in your family. Somebody that you lay awake at night and worry about. If that's you, I want you just to step out from where you are and come and stand here. doesn't matter. Nobody's going to ask you what's going on or what's going on in your family. But if that's you, you come. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Don't be, don't be slow to do this. We've got some things that are hurting our hearts. Come on in. Gather in close. There's some family members that we just lay awake at and, and pray about. And I want to pray together. I want you to understand that you are on a mission. 
God has made you his emissary to this family that you belong to. And for that reason and that reason alone, I can't afford to let you have you let go of your peace. I need you to stay focused on the solution. I need you to stay focused on Jesus because he's going to use you to pull the parts together. Well, you don't know my family. There's no way this can happen. It can happen. It can happen. I have a nephew. I have a nephew who uh, 10 years ago wasn't serving Jesus. He came back to the Lord at Debbie's mom's funeral. And that was amazing. And he's been growing and he's been developing. And just a couple of months ago, he wrote to me and he said, listen, I have this issue. Will you pray with me? And I've been praying every day, just, God, will you be with him? Will you give him the solution? Will you give him the answer? This is a complex thing. It's beyond my understanding. It's beyond his understanding, but it's not beyond your understanding. So Friday, I just said, hey, I want you to know I'm pray I prayed for you this morning. I'm praying that the peace of God will be on you. And he says, I've never been more encouraged in all my life. And if God can do it in my family, he can do it in your family. And so, Father, I'm praying right now over the families that are represented here. There's heartache. There have been tears. There have been prayers. There have been, there's been conflict. There's been difficulty. There have been words that have been said that have, have broken hearts. There have been things that have done that cause us not to trust anybody. But God, we trust in the Lord with all of our heart. We don't lean on our own understanding. In all of our ways, we acknowledge you knowing that you will direct our paths. And so for God's sake, for God's purposes, for God's kingdom, I'm asking that this people will not let go of their peace, that they'll not let go of their peace. I'm praying, God, that you'll speak to them. I'm praying that you'll open the eyes of their understanding and see that there is more with them than there are with others that you are who you say you are. You're the God who knows everything, has everything in hand. I pray that you would under, make them understand that they are the apple of your eye, the center of your attention, the core of your heart. That you, there's nothing they could do that would make you love them less. There's nothing they could do to make you love them more. You, you love them perfectly, perfectly, perfectly. And I'm praying, God, that there would come answers. There would come strategies. There'd come solutions right now to families, to understanding. I'm praying that the right words would be spoken. I'm praying that, the right, that they would show up at the right time, that they, they, they would have the grace that they need to reach to those family members. I'm praying for a release of, of new compassion, of new understanding. I'm praying that you would heal hearts right now that have been wounded, that are standing around this altar right now, that they, they would know, God, it doesn't matter what's happened. I, I see your hand. I see your fingerprints all over everything. God, be with children that we love. Be with sisters, with brothers that are estranged or angry or, or put off. Be with our parents, God. Will you, will you minister life? To our parents. Will you minister hope? Father, we pray for extended families, cousins, uncles, grandparents. We're just asking God that you would cover our families with your loving kindness, with your grace, with your mercy, 
that you would be everything that these people need you to be and that they would discover that, we pray. Father, one more time, don't let them let go of their peace. Nothing missing, nothing broken. You will reveal yourself in your perfect timing, we pray. Amen and amen and amen.